0: The best. 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 best 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 of Cresta in the afternoon countdown. Number twenty three.
1: Good afternoon. I'm out, Cresta. You know, the Reformation is one of the most misunderstood and challenging periods in uh, Western history. And even the use of the singular Reformation creates distortion. There was not one Reformation, there were multiple Reformations. And uh, they had influenced each other. My guest, though, has produced a wonderful volume, 800 pages, called Reformations, plural. The Early Modern World, 1450 to 1650. And Dr. Carlos Herr is Professor of History and Religious Studies at Yale University, where he specializes in the social, intellectual, religious, and cultural history of late medieval and early modern Europe, with a focus on the Protestant and Catholic Reformations. Uh, Also, the history of popular piety, history of the supernatural, the history of death. He uh, is the author of the book that I referred to earlier, called Reformations, the Early Modern World. And uh, most recently, They Flew, A History of the Impossible. He also uh, authored Waiting for Snow in Havana, which won the National Book Award in 2003, and tells the story of his childhood in Cuba before he settled in the United States. Uh, Dr. Ayer, it's good to have you with me. Thanks. Well, thanks for the invitation.
0: Very glad to be here with you.
1: Uh, you know, these. I've always wondered, having read a little bit in the 16th century, why did we end up calling it the Reformation, when in fact, you know, historians have always known there were multiple movements uh, that made it up. Why why do they call it the Reformation? You know, we have the medieval period, the Renaissance, the Reformation, it's convenient, but...
0: Yeah. Uh well it's it's basically it it started out as a a Protestant uh term. Protestant historiography claimed the term uh, solely for the the Protestant break from the Catholic Church. Even though, you know, Catholics uh, throughout the Middle Ages have been constantly reforming it in the right. the Latin term reformatio mm-hmm. or renovatio, you know, renovation. Uh, was commonly used all the time. Religious orders were always renovating and reforming themselves, and the Church as a whole was, too. But in the Reformation, it's it's the, the writing, you know, as they say, the, the winners write history. <laughs> yeah. So in those areas that became monolithically Protestant, uh, and there were many, a, a whole chunk of Northern Europe became monolithically Protestant, Uh, their historians uh, claimed the term Reformation. Uh, I think it's kind of funny, like humorous, uh, there's there's a humorous quality to it, that uh, at this very same period, beginning in the 16th century, Catholic historians always referred to Protestantism, of course, as a heresy, but more than that, they used the term revolt. You know, it was a revolt. And um, lo and behold, uh, I finished college exactly 50 years ago, 1973, at Loyola, Chicago.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the, the Reformation course, which was taught by a, a Jesuit professor I love dearly, uh, who passed away just a few years ago, Robert Byerly, uh, the course had, had this term, the Catholic Reformation and the Protestant Revolt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, Professor Byerly, Father Byerly went on to write a wonderful book about the Catholic Reformation uh, also uh, uh, the title is The Refashioning of Catholicism
1: pretty good you point out your book says uh, early modern world 1450 to 1650, so you're not starting in 1517, uh, the Luther date when uh, he no,
0: no n- names I, his theses. I, you know, it,
1: is this is this becoming uh, common I, now to
0: start oh, talking? Yeah. Okay, definitely, definitely. Actually, the the what has happened in the last 50 years, but more more specifically in the last 25. Is that the writing of the history of this period is no longer dominated by confessional historians? That is, historians who are writing to prove that their church did the correct thing. Right, right. It's it's fallen it's fallen out of use completely to um, write any kind of even vaguely polemical, history of any of the Reformations. And uh, sadly, uh, also in these past 25 years, but especially in the last 15, the study of Reformations, plural, is slowly dying. Really? And vanishing, yes.
1: Is that because people don't believe... In the potency of religious ideas,
0: that's part of it. You know, at public universities, certainly. You know, any 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 course uh, on Christianity is, is going to rub many people the wrong way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, at uh, Christian universities, Christian colleges, Protestant and Catholic, the period itself is. is moving out of focus, Hmm. uh, so that, uh, you know, sadly, I, last year, uh, there were only, in all of North America, about five job openings for people with PhDs in this period, Wow! and none of them, none of those five, were advertised as Reformation or Reformation. They were advertised as, you know, early modern. Early modern, yeah. And most of them actually required that the person who uh, who could apply for this job and get it had to do more than Europe. They had to do uh, uh, transatlantic history Mm. or global history in addition to, because, you know, Europe is evil, Christianity is evil, and we can't focus on that. Yeah. And seminaries, too, have given up on teaching. Uh, reformation. Gee. So I mean, uh, your book makes the point, though, that you can't
1: understand our world today if you don't understand course, yeah. these events.
0: Of course, yes, I, I, absolutely. Um, and uh, you know, I, I tried hard <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, to make that clear in every chapter of the book to try to tie it to you know what, what what's the significance of all this stuff for us now. But in many ways, we are uh, still living with, this. let me stop that sentence and start a completely okay, different one. Okay, go to that. <laughs> Amnesia is one of the worst things that could happen to any person, to lose their memory. Right, uh, And you now that's a devastating thing for individuals and families who have to deal with uh, family members who develop Alzheimer's. What happens is they no longer know who they are. They don't longer know who anybody else is. Yeah, and that's why the study of history is so important. But the fact that the religious unity of the Western Christian world was shattered in the sixteenth century is still affecting us. Yeah, Uh, and it, it, it will continue to affect us. For some time to come, even though church memberships are shrinking, and even though there's one positive development which in the Catholic world began with the Second Vatican Council ecumenism.
1: Yeah, yes, you know,
0: that um, we're, we're no longer uh, killing each other, yeah, right? <laughs> right. Or, or even shouting insults at each other, but you know, we, we cooperate and try to show love towards. Yeah. Uh, each other, despite our difference.
1: Affirm our common baptism. Um, you know, uh, no, I think that's uh, wonderful. And I, I think for Catholics in particular, uh, this is part of what it means to be a faithful Catholic, is to work uh, to recover sure. as much common ground as absolutely. we can.
0: And absolutely, uh, you know, within the Catholic fold, every Catholic at one point, some point, usually early in life, becomes aware of the fact that within the Catholic fold, there are a variety of <laughs> That's opinions. True. <laughs> That's true. That's <laughs> true. Very true. L-
1: let me ask you, you start back in 1450, in you know the, the time of the printing press, uh, yes. but I wanted to ask you ab- about the state uh, of the Church at that time. I mean, the popular impression Is that the Catholic Church on the eve of the Reformation was wickedly corrupt, an object of loathing? Uh, But I'm wondering: was late medieval Christianity decadent or lacking in religious participation? Uh, Were there no devotional sensibilities, and did that differ between clergy and
0: laity? Well, um, there are differences of opinion among scholars because it depends on what you're looking at. Okay, but. Uh, according to some indices, such as confraternity memberships. Mm-hmm. Confraternities were enormously significant in medieval Europe. We have lost that in, in the Catholic tradition. Uh, but uh, me- membership in confraternities and the creation of confraternities, these are lay associations devoted to various things from purely uh, devotional uh, Preoccupations, such as uh, celebrating Corpus Christi
1: Mm -hmm.
0: or uh, establishing orphanages and hospitals, charitable works, and so on. Membership in confraternities skyrockets in the late 15th century, and so do the number of confraternities. And more than that, um, the amount of money being funneled into church decorations also skyrocket. Mm. Interesting. And it's because, you know, around 1400, the European society starts to become ever more prosperous.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and And it's one of the things that, you know, kicks in the beginning of what we now call the modern world and the Renaissance, the rebirth, you know, learning and interest in classical culture. You need money for these things. Right, right. Uh, A Culture or society needs to have a certain amount of wealth uh, for education to spread and for literacy to spread. But the fact is, uh, there are many indications that there were not only more confraternities and more gifts to churches, But when the printing press is invented in 1450, what kind of books are being published? Well, all kinds of books, but the vast majority of them are devotional texts.
1: Interesting. Uh, Dr. Er, hold it there. We've got to take a break. I want to come back and uh, continue to unpack that question, because I think it's important that people get a feel for what the condition of the Church was uh, at that time. My guest, Dr. Carlos Ayer, is the author of Reformations, the Early Modern World, 1450 to 1650. It's an outstanding book and a great read.
0: The best, 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 best Best. 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 of Cresta in the Afternoon countdown. Number 23. 23.
1: Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Carlos Ayer author of Reformations, The Early Modern World, 1450 to 1650. We're taking a look at that incredibly uh, chaotic but creative period in our Western history. And before the break, we're talking about the state of the Church on the eve of the Reformation. I asked, was late medieval Christianity decadent or lacking in religious participation or devotional sensibilities? And, well, if you take a look at confraternities, you take a look at Money being spent on refurbishing uh, churches, uh, people were were into it. What was the what was the complaint about the church at the time then?
0: Well, there there was a lot of corruption, you know, almost everywhere one looked. Okay, one could find instances of things not being done properly um, and of individuals. Uh, taking advantage of the the looseness of authority
1: mm-hmm.
0: whether we're talking about um, regular clergy you know members of religious orders or secular clergy parish clergy mm-hmm. there there were there were a lot of rules that were not being observed okay for instance um, priests uh, uh, especially uh parish priests who did not uh, fulfill their vow of celibacy. Okay, Fairly common. As a matter of fact, in some dioceses, the bishops uh, had a special tax. They would tax the, their clergy for uh, for each child they had. Oh, mercy. And it was, a, in some places, a, a very good source of income for the bishops. <laughs> so they did nothing to stop it. And there were many privileged families and privileged individuals who held church positions and and didn't actually have much of a vocation, if any at all. Is- and the clergy who were the hardest to reform were uh, cathedral canons. That is, the, the, the clergy in, in the cathedrals, the bishop's clergy, because they all came from the most powerful families, and boy, they resisted it. Okay. And reforming was dangerous. We have, as part of part of the history of the Catholic Reformation, is bishops who tried to reform their clergy, and their clergy tried to kill them. Yeah, yeah. I think Charles Borromeo was shot in the back by a priest of uh, 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 forget what order he belonged to, but he you know he was trying to reform them, and this priest shot him in the back. Yeah. Well, wow. liturgical vestments were so thick. And, and, you know, this is early on. The, the gun was not powerful enough. The bullet bounced off his back, but it left a terrible bruise on him. Mercy. And some clergy tried to poison their bishops with the communion wine. This this is the situation. Yeah. I mean, then there were a lot of complaints about corruption. But there were also many people trying to
1: fix things. Well, then... The earlier Catholic attempts at reform were stifled because of these, I guess, these uh, people who were embedded in authoritative positions. Yeah. Why did Luther's uh, complaint gain momentum?
0: Well, it it gained momentum uh, for several reasons, but I think the main reason it gained momentum was that um, a lot of rules that the Catholic Church had, uh, for instance, fasting, Mm -hmm.
1: um,
0: having to go to confession, confess one's sins, uh, and uh, a number of others, uh, celibacy for priests and so on. All of these were done away with. But that was not Luther's principal intention when he began to complain in 1517, his initial complaint was purely theological. It had to do with how one is saved. The the, the subject in in theology, Christian theology known as soteriology, Mm -hmm. or how one is saved. Luther's initial complaints were about a technical point, indulgences, Mm -hmm. Uh, and Part of that complaint was about the money that people were spending for their dead relatives in purgatory. Uh, Luther uh, uh, it very quickly ends up, as he's pushed against the wall, uh, denies the existence of purgatory.
1: So do you see a continual that... emptying of. So he. He denies the value of indulgences. He ends up denying the value of purgatory, and he eventually works its way up, right, to the papacy.
0: Oh yeah, to everything. And and you know, the the his his main complaint about the, the soteriology of the late medieval Catholic Church was that it was all about counting your actions. Yeah, counting your sins, counting your good charitable works, and. Turning God into an uh, uh, some some kind of uh, calculating machine mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. weighed your good things versus your bad things. So he said, "No, that's not what it's about. You're saved by faith alone." But that that opened up the the, the a can of worms, and it went from one point to another. And uh, he begins his protest in 1517, and by 15. 15- Nineteen, when he is declared a heretic uh, by the pope, he's already calling the pope the antichrist. Wow,
1: was he an apocalyptic thinker? Did, I mean, did he, did he see he, the he end? Thought,
0: yes, he thought. He thought that the reason that uh, he had come along because he, he was constantly asked by by Catholic uh, theologians and even by the emperor himself, Emperor Charles V, "Who are you?" to come along after 1,500 years and say that, you know, everything's been wrong. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, Luther's position was that the end was near. Okay. And he was here as as a prophet. He viewed himself as a prophetic figure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thought that the end was near. He did not put a date on it, as some others would, around him. Yeah. But uh, he was convinced that the end was near, and now the church was being restored. But politics had a lot to do with it, too. Yeah. Because uh, the main reason that he survived after he was excommunicated and after Emperor Charles V and the German Parliament pronounced him an outlaw, which means anyone could grab him and kill him with impunity, was that his local prince protected him. And Uh, His followers began to gain the protection of princes, and in Germany and in Switzerland, Uh, but this is primarily in German-speaking areas, Uh, in the cities, the cities were self-governing, and the burghers, let's call them the middle class and the upper middle class, Mm -hmm. they began, uh, who had city councils and so on, began to vote themselves. Reformed, yeah, for Protestant, hmm. and they managed to break away. How, and
1: I'm just wondering though, how, how much of this was religiously motivated? How much of it was politically motivated or commercially motivated? I mean, I, I know that's one of those large and lumpy questions. You can speculate, yeah, on, but I yeah. uh, can we untangle uh, those
0: motives? It's, no, they cannot be untangled. Okay. It, it, it all it, it all works together. And um, you cannot separate the politics from the theology, and you cannot separate um, individuals into very meek categories. Oh, these people were political, these people were more devotional. No, Mm. as as I have often said, you know, when, when Protestants destroyed images, why did they do it? What was going on? And I, I, I have long argued that there were as many different reasons uh, behind people smashing images as there were number of people smashing images. Everyone could have their own reason. If I remember right, you wrote a whole book on this, didn't you?
1: Wars on Isles? Yeah, that's my,
0: yeah my first book. War yeah, Against yeah, I remember items. seeing that. Uh, and um, the same applies to every aspect of religious change uh, at any time but especially at this time, because it happened so fast, is that there were multiple reasons for people breaking with the Catholic Church. And then there are some things that make you scratch your head, such as, for instance, uh, this one is is the one that's made me scratch my head most intensely, Okay, uh, is that uh, artisans were organized into guilds. Uh, sort of the equivalent of our modern labor unions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And sometimes the, in a city, uh, the guilds would align in, in along different lines. So for instance, in one Swiss city, in Basel, the guild of butchers was 100% Catholic. The printers, 100% Protestant. The other guilds, in between. Huh. And then uh, something funny happened, for instance, in the city of Lyon in France, where the Printer's Guild became Protestant. And they actually led the way to uh, Lyon. Um, par- not not the whole city, but a substantial portion of Lyon becomes Protestant. But then they, they find out that um, their new Protestant church, Will not allow them to strike. <laughs> the The apprentices are not allowed to strike because that's unChristian. So, they they reconvert to Catholicism. <laughs> so, how do you separate that? Yeah, how do you separate these things? Right, uh, right. It's impossible.
1: Um, you t- talk about uh, John Calvin and talk about Calvinism. You make a point in the book that. Um, Calvinism redefines the boundaries uh, between the human and the divine, the the natural, the supernatural. Was that more obvious in the Reformed Calvinist tradition than it was in, say, the Lutheran tradition?
0: Oh, yes, much more so. Luther was not interested in um, metaphysics. He was not interested in in, in figuring out how the spiritual relates to the material. That was not his concern that is the central concern of the Reformed Protestant tradition, at least initially. Right? Um, and um, it makes them very different, Lutheran okay. and Reformed.
1: Well, we've got to take a break here. We'll come back and pick it up uh, from that distinction. Okay. My guest is uh, Dr. Carlos Ayer. Uh, he is uh, a professor of history and religious studies at Yale and the author of an outstanding book, Reformations. Yes, plural, Finally. Reformations, the Early Modern World, 1450
0: to 1650. The best, 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 best of Cresta in the Afternoon Countdown. Number 23.
1: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me is Dr. Carlos Ayer, author of Reformations, the Early Modern World, 1450 to 1650 talking at the close of the last segment about Calvinism and uh, its legacy as uh, kind of a redefining of the um, relationship between the natural and the supernatural. Uh, Their iconoclastic crusade, they are getting rid of images, actually is a revolt against the whole medieval worldview, and they're emptying the world. Of much of its uh, supernatural sense, um, some people call it the disenchantment of the world. Is that what? Yeah. Is that their intention?
0: Well, yes, very much so. Okay. Um, they they thought that you know religion, the, the Reformed tradition um, to which Calvin belonged, and, and he became uh, its most influential theologian. Uh, for them, yes, uh, religion that focused on physical points of contact with the spiritual or natural points of contact Mm -hmm. with the supernatural. That was totally wrong. That was idolatry. And and therefore, it had to be removed wherever possible. Because um, unlike most, uh, throughout most of its history, Catholicism, from the first century to the 16th and to this very day, it is a, a religion that considers uh, it possible right. for the physical, natural world to interact with the spiritual, supernatural world. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That there are so many points of contact, and especially when it comes to um, ritual, yeah, a sacrament. The sacraments. Yeah, um, it, uh, material points of contact. It actually, you know, baptism uses water, uh, confirmation uses oil, uh, the the Eucharist and the, the extreme unction, especially those four. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Protestants retained baptism and the Eucharist and got rid of the other sacraments because they couldn't find them mentioned in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And those two sacraments they retained had still physical points of contact with the divine. Some, but they had, they interpreted uh, the water and the bread and wine as symbolic.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: there was nothing divine or supernatural yeah. there, and especially when it came to the Eucharist, the communion. Uh, yes, they, they spoke of communion. It was a purely spiritual communion. The bread and the wine themselves were, were symbols. They, were not, they did not have... Christ was not present. Yeah. yeah. And this was a major disagreement between the Reformed Protestants and the Lutherans.
1: Okay. Lutherans still Lutherans retained, retained the,
0: a real presence. They, yes. They, 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 but they said, you can't explain it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You can't even try to explain it. But, you know, Christ is there, really. physically Uh, so there there are shades it's a spectrum of of belief Uh, at at the most radical spectrum of the protestant reformation you have individuals who not only think the sacraments are unnecessary but the church itself is unnecessary Mm. and that's the most radical fringe but it is a spectrum Uh, so uh, but Another thing that the Protestant Reformation does, and this applies to Lutherans uh, as well as all all others, is the belief in the cessation of miracles. So
1: miracles are limited to the Bible?
0: The apostolic period? The apostolic period. As soon as the last apostle died and everybody agreed that was John, that was it. Yeah. No more miracles. So, of course, the New Testament is full of miracles. Right. For heaven's sakes! In the Acts of the Apostles, uh, Peter's shadow cures sick people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they said, yeah, of course that was necessary to make people believe that the apost- that you know, Jesus was the Savior, and the apostles were were his disciples, But so they had this power. But after that, no, no, it, it stopped happening. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's a very different worldview. I I call it a desacralization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of the world, not not disenchantment because enchantment has to do with magic. Okay, and actually, uh, that was a, a pejorative term that Protestants in the 16th century used about Catholic ritual. Hmm. Was that it was all magic? Gotcha. That it was hocus pocus. Actually, the, there's debate about this, but some etymologies uh, trace the term hocus pocus to the consecration of the Eucharist <laughs> in Latin. <laughs> Hocus corpus mail.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> so, uh,
1: Would any of the magisterial reformers have counted their reformations a success?
0: Yes, very much so. Although, what, by what measure, you know, of course they had succeeded. They had broken away from the, in Luther's term, the Church of the Antichrist.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, actually, all Protestants saw the Catholic Church as deeply embedded in the demonic, yeah. it was evil. So just the mere fact that they had broken away and established a Church that was more focused on the Bible and didn't have all this physical stuff, yeah, that was that was a triumph.
1: Did, did they recognize uh, any irony in that their efforts to purify and renew the Church had succeeded in splintering
0: it? Oh, that was always a sore point. But they were not, you know. This was all happening so fast, mm-hmm. and especially for the first generation, they, they they didn't have time or the peace of mind to focus on on these things. And then, as as the second and third generation come along, and you know, they're they're still uh, fracturing within each of the established Protestant churches. Um, they begin to reflect on it, but there's no one, to my mind, I have yet to find any uh, theologian in, in the Protestant family from the 16th or 17th century who uh, has a cogent explanation or, or program for fixing this problem.
1: Mm. Okay,
0: I am right, you are wrong basically were there and, any attempts
1: were, were there any attempts in the first generation to like the marburg colloquy to try to find unity among protestants
0: numerous occasions okay. where people came together to discuss their differences of opinion but none of them worked yeah and mm-hmm. and the last uh, last of these attempts was in 1561 in Poissy, in France, and um, it was uh, it just didn't work. And after that, they just simply stopped trying. Yeah, to, yeah. to reach some. And, and actually, at the Marburg Colloquy, which you mentioned, was very early, fifteen twenty nine. Um, they agreed on thirteen points, the Lutherans and the Reformed, but they could not agree on the Eucharist. Uh,
1: the. Uh, the wars of religion that the 30 years war
0: uh, is
1: how responsible is that for the secularization of europe
0: well the the war itself is a symptom of larger problems that uh, and situations that lead to secularization because the the 30 years war is, is Actually, comes in kind of late. There have been many other religious wars before sixteen eighteen. Mm-hmm. France from fifteen sixty two to fifteen ninety eight it's a it's an unparalleled bloodbath of French people killing each other over religion. Yeah, Protestants and Calvinists. I mean, pra- Protestants and Catholics uh, killing each other uh and and the problem doesn't go away in 1598 when when a peace is, is reached uh as the 30 years war which begins in 1618 uh begins uh over religious issues and it begins uh in prague in you know present day czechia um where you still had these medieval Heretics, thess yeah. okay, become, pro- John had become pro- they they were on the Protestant side, but it begins there, but by the end of the war in sixteen forty eight it, it is not really by the end by thirty years of constant fighting and 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 killing it it, it well you could still call it a religious war, but it has lost its religious slave yeah. Why? Because by 1648, actually, all of this, uh, my theory is that, um, well, my theory is, basically, by 1648, all of this disagreeing, and especially all the killing, has forced people to tolerate each other. Yeah, yeah. And uh, business is business. In places, especially where Catholics and Protestants are living in close proximity to each other, you're a business person. Are are you not going to sell your goods to Protestants? Right, right, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so on and so forth. Um, And and the place where... There were many places where toleration actually was practiced. But the one place where it was most intensely practiced, the first place where it was most intensely practiced was the Netherlands, where the rigid, li- religious situation was very fluid. Uh, it, it's a small republic, and it's fighting against uh, Spain, because the Spanish crown claimed it. So the Netherlands is very much part of the Thirty Years' War. Mm. Actually, the re- rebellion against Spain is not finally confirmed uh, as successful till 1648. But by that time, what do you have in the Netherlands? well you have you have area cities uh, such as Amsterdam where uh, Catholics can't attend mass. they just can't have churches. <laughs> mm. They can turn a house into a church and go in the back door, but it can't look like a church wow. but they can go they can go to mass mm. and Jews can have their synagogues, the same yeah. thing uh, and by sixteen forty eight you have out and out skepticism and out and out atheism among the intelligentsia, yeah. But also among common people too.
1: Okay. So religious, this, yeah. So this this war of war of religious ideas leads then to unbelief.
0: It 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 does. Yeah. Um, and and actually, uh, there are also practical considerations, uh, which is uh, how can you just conduct life on a day to day basis with with all this mayhem? Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, I, I don't want to make any comparisons to present day Ukraine and what's happening there, but the horrors of these religious wars were were comparable in a different scale. Back then, mm-hmm. there were areas of Germany that, during the Thirty Years' War, lost over 50% of the population. Wow. Wow. Either to, you know, actual death or having to relocate. <laughs> uh, the refugee problem is not a new thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, two of my doctoral students have written their dissertations on, uh, you know, Protestant refugees in different cities. Yeah.
1: Well, Dr. Eyre, let me thank you again for the work into the book. I love the book. I've been reading it, and will continue to read it. Uh, And um, I hope we can talk again in the future.
0: Oh, sure, anytime. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for all the great questions, too.
1: (laughs) Dr. Carlos Ayer is author of Reformations.